Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Red Eyes TV. It's a pleasure having you here. I'm Henrik. We have a great show lined up for you today. We have to talk about what's happening with the weaponization of the various uh, agencies uh, in the U.S. We're talking about the FBI, of course, but also the Department of Justice. Uh, we're talking about even the IRS. And let's not forget, of course, one of the maybe biggest uh, problems, at least for us as kind of white identitarians, that's the Department of Homeland Security. I remember years ago, people were talking about this when the Muslim threat and domestic or, or uh, Islamic terrorism threat was kind of ramped up. There was a, a few voices uh, back then in those days warning and saying, look, watch out, because at some point this might be, be turned inwardly and, and eventually they'll go after conservatives and, and white Americans. And of course, uh, <laughs> here we are. It's happening right now. And of course, we're going to frame this from the perspective of the raid, the FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago as well. Uh, which has just been crazy. The overreach by these agencies is insane. And then we're having a counter reaction uh, by, of course, just, you know, your basic MAGA-tier conservative, essentially, right? So we have with us today James Edwards from the political cesspool to kind of help us churn this out a little bit. Welcome back, James. It's great to see you. How are you? Hendrik, it's always great to be back on Red Eyes with you and Lana, or you and Lana together. And yes, I really wanted to sink my teeth into this topic on this particular broadcast. So I was excited to get the invitation to return for this particular topic. And if you want to go straight into the FBI raid, we can do that uh, and then talk about what it means in the bigger picture with regards to the ever radicalization of the Republican base that has been taking place at a really accelerated speed since Biden assumed the White House. Yes, exactly. They're kind of doing the job for us uh, to a certain extent. They're kind of helping to wake people up of just how, uh, and and the more radical they get, the more radical kind of the counter side gets. Now there's a, and we could, you know, we can, we can talk more about this in detail later in terms of like, is this, are they playing us? Maybe they want this reaction out of us to actually go after people and so forth. There, there's a lot of things to churn out here. But let's begin then with the Mar-a-Lago raid and how you saw that. This is like unprecedented as far as I understand it in, in American history, going after a former president like this. Uh, there's nothing as far as we know illegal that was made. I think, James, that they're fishing around basically for anything they can find to try to tie Trump to like some kind of foreknowledge of January 6th that he's like he he knew that he actually lost the election. Let's try to find some evidence of that. And then when he when we can show that he he pushed the big lie, as they call it, right, the election fraud issue, then we can basically say that he did this intentionally. Hence, this led to violence. Hence, we can uh, indict Trump. But how, how do you view this? Yes. Well, I'll tell you, when I first heard word about this, which was about a week ago, a little bit more than a week ago, uh, I went into my program last Saturday night playing celebratory music. I mean, this is a great thing for us, for our side, as it furthers the divide. It furthers the divide between the system and our people uh, throughout uh, red state America. And uh, a lot of takeaways from the raid itself. Yes, I mean, certainly I see it as a continuation of everything that the system has thrown at Trump. He betrayed his class. Uh, he betrayed the elites, and they have not forgiven him for that. And throughout his entire run as a candidate, through the four years of his administration, and now continuing on two years into the Biden regime, you have had one thing after another. You have had Russiagate. You've had two or three impeachments. You've had the farce insurrection. And now you have this. It's, it's each one of those other things peters out, they bring something new. And I don't think there will be anything more to this raid than there was to any of those other instances. I think it's just set up to be an obstacle to try to taint Trump, to try to make his supporters 
look bad. And I think that the system is grossly miscalculating the effect this is going to have. I don't think they're playing us. I think that they look, they always overreach. This is their nature. And I think they live in a coastal bubble. I think they are so disconnected from the other half of America, the 60, 70 million people who voted for Trump, uh, that they cannot see what we see. They cannot feel feel it as we feel it. And, and listen, I'm not saying this as a pro or anti-Trump guy. I'm just saying, is this good for our people? Right. And I yeah. think that it is. And perhaps they're just so blinded by their hatred of us. Whatever the case, I don't think this is going to go their way. I don't think any of it's been going their way the last couple of years, and we'll talk about that. But my initial reaction to the Trump raid was, well, you saw a spontaneous Trump rally in response to the raid there on his property or near his property. That wouldn't have happened for any other president, maybe George Washington, maybe somebody like that. Uh, and to me, Henrik, it reeked, it reeked of a bloated empire entering into its final act. I think yeah. that's what, what it looked like. I think that's what it is. And I have long felt that the system has a very tenuous hold over the people. There's a volcanic level of discontent bubbling just beneath the surface. And I don't know what the spark is going to be. I don't think that the raid necessarily will be it, but it just adds another piece of, of uh, kindling to the to the pyre. This country is destined to be balkanized, and all of this stuff is going to hasten that separation. Push is coming to shove in America. There will be no reconciliation. We are at least two different nations living in the same geographical uh, plot of land. Uh, red and blue states will never go back together again. And of course, it's more than just Republican and Democrats. Of course, it goes it goes all the way down to, to, to race and all of the things that we so concern ourselves with. But the United States, to put uh, quotations on the word united, is uh, gone forever and it's not coming back. So I think it's time to look at what's going to come next. And, and you see this everywhere. Polls, data, anecdotal evidence. You have Steve King. All right. I mean, just to give you an individual example of how far people have come over the course of the last five years, you have Steve King, who certainly said things that we liked when he was a congressman. I remember we had press credentials to the Republican National Convention, and I remember talking to Steve King there, and he was in trouble for saying something positive about Western civilization. But Steve King also voted to censure himself after he had offended the delicate sensibilities of minorities. And... He voted to censor him, uh, himself with regards to committee uh, appointments at the time. And now you have Steve King, former Congressman Steve King, saying Trump will be indicted. The charges will be brought into the District of Columbia. They know a white man has no chance for a fair trial in D.C., let alone a Republican white man. It has become so safe now, Henry, uh, Henrik, for um, people to talk unabashedly about race. And Trump has had a hand in this. Mm -hmm. And this government and bureaucratic overreach has had a hand in this. The, uh, the J6 hearings, we know that's pure third world political theater. No reason to believe the FBI raids on Trump is anything less, but anything that inches us closer to a national divorce should be welcomed. And uh, you have a sitting member of the Florida State House, Representative Anthony Sabatini, who says, get the feds out of Florida. Yeah, right? I saw revolutionary, that. Revolutionary rhetoric here. Yeah. And, and we don't have, look, the good news is, we don't have to do anything, nor should we do anything to hasten what is going to happen. It's inevitable that there is going to be, uh, a, a, I think, a split of America. I used to think it might happen in my lifetime. Now I think there's a direct path to where you can see it happening within the next decade. It is unbelievable how quickly things are disintegrating. Public trust in the institutions have been eviscerated. People don't believe in the media anymore. The Trump voters don't. That's half the nation. 
And they don't even believe that we have fair elections anymore. Trump directly played a role in that. Again, inadvertently, purposefully, I don't know, I don't care. It's an overreaction to the threat that they believed that he was. And it, 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 it has moved up the timeline of what I wanted to see happen, I think, by decades. Yeah, or, exactly. I, I agree with you. I think it's they, they're kind of created this like monstrous straw man of what they think Trump was, like a shadow version of what they believed Trump was in a way. And, and part of me is like, yeah, I wish it was like that sometimes. <laughs> <You know, laughs> I'm just being honest. You know what I mean? But then at the same time, it's kind of interesting how the, the, then they're just running with this. And the, the, as you said, they can't seem to stop themselves. And that's, of course, not evidence of like planning ahead or being calculated. This is just pure raw hatred and, and, and raw emotion. And now they're bunching. It. So my uh, point here to, to our audience is you you personally out there watching might not be you know, pro Trump, maybe you were Trump, uh, pro Trump, maybe you will never worse, whatever. But the point is, if you're on our side of the fence, you're going to be roped up into this that's happening right now. There's a, an entire political party and an entire political faction that is being uh, criminalized, essentially. And they're turning these agencies against everybody. And this is insane. And, and in this case, not that it started with Trump, though. There's obviously been some of this in the past. They've targeted individuals or certain groups, and certainly there's a lot of ugly stains, uh, so to speak, on American history when it comes to things like Ruby Ridge and Waco and stuff, right? So we've seen these things bubbling up to the surface. But now it's this, they're, they're trying to, at least from their view, kind of strike at the, at the head of the snake. Uh, you know, go, let's go for Trump, take him out, and then we can kind of trickle this down and go for everyone else, essentially. But, I mean, look at some of these headlines here. Like, GOP is basically a domestic terrorist cell operating in America. Let me play this clip here to just see how the narratives that they're spinning in the media and how they're talking about this now. Let me play this here. Well, as you know, my friend, Congressman Eric Swalwell says, you can't be pro-cop and pro-coup at the same time. And that's exactly what they are. They walk around and masquerade with this term pro-life. But again, we just saw in Florida, uh, somehow a, a, a child is not mature enough to have an abortion, but is mature enough to, to be forced to carry a baby to term. Uh, you know, they say that they're pro-life, yet they, all of them, every single one of them, vote against the biggest climate change package we've ever had in our in our country's history to try to make sure that we have, are able to preserve life going forward. They vote against that. They say that they're pro-life, but they put law enforcement and their lives, their families' lives, in jeopardy time and again we see them say one thing and do another they are they are not concerned with life they are just concerned with trying to score cheap political points they're concerned with trying to quote unquote own the libs and they don't really care what wreckage is left in their wake they are a destructive force in american politics they are basically a domestic terrorist cell operating within america their goal is to end democracy one of their leaders steve bannon has said very clearly multiple times his goal is to tear everything down yeah. to burn it all down I know there it is. So that yeah, the basically they're a domestic terror cell, and we have to to save democracy, James. We have to uh, criminalize them. We have to ban them. I'm not sure what they're planning to do with, the, as you said, what is it? Sixty is probably more now, to be honest, because of this behavior. Seventy million people or whatever, and, and you're going to put them all in in camps. Or how how are you going to control all, all of this? And and of course they're not going to. This is insane. Uh, this was. Uh one of the leaders of the Axis made the comment after Pearl Harbor that uh, it would be very hard to do anything with America because behind every blade of grass is a citizen with a gun. Yeah. And it's all people that know how to use these weapons, by the way. It's not the coalition of the other. It's not the support groups of the regime. So, yeah, they got a big problem. As far as democracy goes, I'll, I'll own that. I'm not a fan of 
whatever this system of government is. You can call it democracy or whatever you will. Uh, I'm ready for something different. And that you certainly don't have to go out and, and do things that are terroristic in nature to, to see this thing perhaps fall apart and something new made uh, from the rubble. Again, don't go out and become violent. Don't become the caricature of who they say we are. Yeah, that's what they want, you know, in this case. Collapse under the weight of its own gravity. Yeah. But it's all absolutely staggering. I put up um, a screenshot of a Monmouth University poll a few days ago, and we were talking about the complete lack of trust. Look, you have to have the public lose faith in the institutions before anything's going to change. Yeah. Okay, that's one prerequisite. Another thing is, of course, look, our ideas are no more right today than they were last year or five years ago or 10 years ago or 25 years ago or 50 years ago or whenever. Our ideas were always right. But history teaches us that you have to have a tick of good timing for anything to work. You have to have timing and circumstance rise to meet with an idea to give that idea or that movement propulsion. And sometimes things just won't work unless the time is right. And for whatever reason, it, and there are several reasons. It looks as though the time is right for our ideas to flourish. I mean, my God, we've been talking about this for the last year and a half on the show, I think, the radicalization of the Republican base, and it had to happen on their own schedule. Sometimes there's nothing you can do to hasten that except be prepared, continue to attend to your flock and prepare infrastructure and media for what happens next. And it, but the majority of the Republican base has uh, essentially ad, uh, adopted our message by and large. I, I'll just give you a few very quick uh, points on that. Uh, so polls, data, I mentioned this Monmouth University poll. I guess I should go back to that very, very quickly with regards to January 6th. They asked a series of questions uh, of the respondents of this poll. Was January 6th a riot? Was January 6th an insurrection? Was January 6th a legitimate protest? Was Trump directly responsible? Did Biden win due to voter fraud? Uh, did the hearings change my mind? And on each of those questions, the answers given before and after the January 6th hearings didn't move beyond two or three percentage points, which means People already had their minds made up. Nobody was swayed by all of that propaganda and all of that media. Hmm. People weren't swayed by, you know, the FBI. They're not going to be swayed by the FBI here with, with the Trump thing. Faith in the elections is gone with half the country. Tens of millions of people. And that's, that's numbers you can win with. These people are thinking like us. Now, what do I mean? Just because they don't have faith in the media or uh, the the elections or law enforcement, federal law enforcement. There's a big difference. People say, oh, well, you... Uh, you were for the cops with BLM. There's a lot of difference between local police force trying to keep uh, true terrorists from burning down the city and these uh, politicized and weaponized federal agencies. But but look at look at where the Trump voters are now. They have caught up to us. Uh, recent polls going back to just a couple of months after Biden, all the way through uh, a couple of months after Biden was inaugurated to just uh, a few weeks ago. I'm citing polls from that entire spectrum. 87% of Trump voters responded that they are concerned about anti-white discrimination. 87% of what, Good. 60 million people? You think yeah. you could win with numbers like that if you get them on board and pull them in the same direction? Right. 80%, these are the Trump voters, tens of millions of people. 80% reject white privilege. These are, these are university polls. These are the polls that they cite for all of the elections. These aren't our polls. 64% uh, say that their race and ethnicity is important to their identity. 73% believe in the Great Replacement. 
which isn't a theory, by the way. Of course, no. it's a fact. Seventy-three <laughs> percent believe that now. You go back five, ten years, you you couldn't talk about stuff like that. That's right. Thirty percent. Yeah. This is amazing. Thirty percent of the Trump voters said they and their state would be better off if their state seceded. Uh, and so, what caused this? What caused the time and the circumstance to meet with our ideas? Well, uh, the Ford riots, of course. Uh, the way that COVID was mismanaged, uh, the way that the system overlapped their hysterical push for so-called transgenderism and critical race theory, uh, the fact that they saw for five years Trump being lambasted as a racist and a white supremacist and a neo-Nazi and all of that. I mean, people have just become numb to it, to the point where you had in June in Houston, Texas, the state GOP of, of Texas, this isn't the state GOP of Connecticut or Rhode Island where they're an also ran and they don't compete. This is the, the state GOP of the largest Republican state in the, in the country. They put in their platform, the Republican Party of Texas, that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president, that they want to repeal the 1965 Voting Rights Act, and they want to put secession on the ballot. And I tell you, if secession did get put on the ballot in Texas, you got a 50-50 toss as to whether or not that state walks. And if they walk, others are going to walk. And it's it's very real now. It's not stuff we're talking about in our gatherings. It's stuff that Republican elected officials and state party leaders and the entire base is talking about. It is a totally different world than it was two years ago, much less when Trump descended the escalator. Yeah, exactly. And of course, we have, as we said, we have kind of them to thank for that to a certain extent. If, yes, they, would, the if they would have just, uh, you know, toned down a bit or, or lowered the temperature a little bit, they could have, I think they could have gotten away with the, a lot of this. But due to the fact that they just got hubris and they just keep pushing, they don't know when to stop. And they're insane. They're crazy. The progress train never stops. And they have, like, they hate us. <laughs> they want us gone. And their vitriol is, 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 is so strong that it's just like seeping out of every institution everything they touch has oozing of anti-whiteness and, and the hatred of conservatives and, and and things like this so of course the reaction to that is like automatically like well i haven't done anything wrong and 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 white conservatives keep backing up keep backing up keep backing up but at this point it seems to almost reach that like all right we're, like we're done with this like we're not doing this anymore and it looks like a lot of people are uh, sincerely like they, they want nothing to do with this. And that's great for us, as you said, of course, because we want these people to wake up. We want them to develop a white identity. They need to know that they're white. They need to start taking their own side, stand up for themselves, stand up for their own people, for their community, do what's right. And uh, and that's something that in uh, long term is very positive for us. Right. So we, we, we can kind of thank them to, to a certain extent. And then the other side of me also feels like, you know, as they get so crazy and they and they kind of radicalize the other side to such a degree that if you have individual, uh, as you said before, individuals that kind of crack or, or snap and go out and do dumb things. And we saw that allegedly these are very hard things to actually confirm at this point. But like the Cincinnati, right, there was the guy there that with a, walked out with a nail gun is in Ohio. He apparently went after some FBI agents or a building or something. They apparently shot him dead. I haven't seen that much details about it since then. But you see what, what I'm saying, you see small acts like that. I think they're hoping for us to crack one by one so that they can basically give that will be the excuse for them to say, see, they're all terrorists. But at the end of the day, though, James, this is an impossible battle for them to win. They can't criminalize everybody, right? No, they can't. And if you couldn't win against the Taliban, you're not going to win against tens of millions of people here on this continent that are well-armed. 
And, you know, it's interesting what you just said. I'd like to talk about that, that situation that I believe uh, happened at the FBI field office in Cincinnati, I believe mm -hmm. it was. Yeah. Where this, now, these aren't our, they are our people in so much as they're disaffected and uh, dissenting white people. But these aren't members of, uh, you know, any group that we would associate with. I doubt that that guy had ever tuned in to a red ice or political cesspool broadcast. These are MAGA voters, okay? These are Joe Sixpack. These are the people that are that are ready for the revolution. Now, we know better than to go out there and to, to do foolhardy things like this, but uh, there are people that have been abused for so long that, yes, you know, in fact, the violence doesn't surprise me, the fact that there's been so little of it, uh, considering what the system has done to us, literally replacing uh, our population. Yeah. Uh, everything they've done to make us hate ourselves and to feel guilt and to feel shame. Uh, but it is the MAGA voters that are the ones going out and doing this. They were the ones at January 6th. They were the ones that, that, that went up to that field office. And uh, again, it just, it's because all of the discontent has been exacerbated over the course of um, the Trump years. It all started, and I think we may talk about this a, a little bit more in a moment, but it, but it really did all start when Trump announced his candidacy. And now you've got, as of this week, of course, for the first time, I think in six decades, seven decades, there is not one member of the Bush, Clinton, or Cheney family that is in elected or appointed office. Donald Trump absolutely ended the Bush, Clinton, and Cheney dynasties. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, but, but it's gotten to the point now, with everything that's happened since 2015, that national divorce and civil war trend on Twitter intermittently. I, I've seen it more than a, a couple of times now. Uh, the people aren't ready to do anything yet. I mean, you're not going to see, uh, you know, a so-called civil war. And I don't know if it has to come to that. If there is a civil war, it's going to be fought doorstep to doorstep. There's not going to be lines of partitions in different states. It's going to be fought in the streets. Um, but this is all still a major escalation. The FBI raiding Mar-a-Lago. If that's what it takes to get you on board with a national divorce, then so be it. You know, Trump being such a lightning rod has helped us move the needle on all of our issues. I always said, I said for years, you know, we went on the air nearly around the same time, Henrik. I started my program for, in 2004. We've been on the air 18 years talking about these issues since day one. And I have said for years, I said, the Republican base fundamentally agrees with us, but they have to have a leader. Everybody wants to be led, even, even men uh, in, in, in their ranks, in the GOP base. They want to be led. They want a strong leader. Maybe we need a Franco. But they need somebody that will come out and say the things they feel in their heart to give them safe cover. And if they don't have somebody doing that, then they'll say what society expects them to say. But I always knew fundamentally that these people uh, could join us very quickly if uh, they were given that safe cover. And so you, you, you see that now. And five years ago, of course, again, certainly there weren't nearly as many radicals. And I use that term affectionately and in the best sense of the word. But there weren't nearly as many radicals in the... GOP base and in the general population as there are today. It has exploded over the course of the last three years. The politically, uh, the political instability is getting much higher. Uh, the well-being index is dropping. And there's no going back to normal, I don't think. Uh, history shows that this always ends one way. There will be an event that sorts all of this out for better or for worse. Are, are you um, are you concerned that there are 
deflections along the way that let, let's say it becomes more uh, maybe QAnon than like white identitarian or something like that. Like you do, you know what I'm talking about? And, and there's some things in there which is like you know I don't know all of everything that QAnon is into or whatever. There's some things in there which is like yeah they're they're talking about global pedophile networks and stuff. And hey after Jeffrey Epstein all that whole thing was revealed like yeah they're, they're basically they're spot on on that issue. But it could are you concerned it might go down more of a clownish route than actually something very serious and and uh, more aligned you know along our path. Well, we've seen that uh, throughout my my career, and I've been doing this my entire adult life. You had the Tea Party movement, which was a manifestation of Middle America's discontent. That's all, actually what caused me to to, to write my book. Um, it was a direct response to the Tea Party and, and their and their cuckery. Uh, but there are very few people like that within the Republican base. I think yes, you may zig and you may zag a little bit, but I think it's still going to be going in our direction. Uh, there may be a couple of detours, but I think even with the detours, you may be taking the longer route around to the terminus, uh, which is which is where they're going to find us and where we've always been. And I, I think, you know, obviously people are, are, are getting there quite quickly. And the only thing that's missing is a spark. You've got this political stress index ratcheting up to another high, uh, great replacement, secession, or mainstream ideas now. Uh, they are, you had yeah, yeah. Michael Perutka winning the attorney general primary in Maryland. Uh, you know, this was a guy that was a former board member of the League of the South, uh, uh, been on my program, uh, a secessionist. He said that the uh, American experiment died. It was born and it died on the 4th of July. And he said it died in 1863 when uh, the Confederates were in retreat from Gettysburg. This is the man that's the Republican nominee in a statewide office for a statewide office, attorney general of Maryland. Uh, you have Blake Masters, OK, in, in uh, Arizona who yeah. said gun violence is a black problem. I mean, so he's he won his primary. You have uh, Ron DeSantis calling the black on white attack at the Christmas parade in Wisconsin exactly what it was, an anti-white attack. And we just talked about Steve King yep. saying a white man can't find justice in the system's court. But Steve King also said in re response, I know you saw this, Steve King said in response to the uh, Merrick Garland taking- oh, yeah. Credit for being the one who authorized this raid. Steve King's first response to that was Merrick Garland is a Jew. So uh, uh, this is uh, it, it all just goes to show where these people are going. And by the way, this was something that one of my guests said uh, back in June. We were talking about these trends. We were talking about how you have mainstream <clears throat> politicians and elected officials. Look, when Ron DeSantis the sitting governor of Florida, one of the key states in, in the entire nation, is calling something an anti-white attack and, and saying things like that, using rhetoric like that. Uh, that cannot be discounted. But my guest really hit the nail on the head. He said, when Ron DeSantis says something like that, pat yourself on the back. You're the one who caused that. If it weren't for the pressure he felt from his base and from of course, people like you and Lana, those of us who are doing what we can with our institutions and organizations uh, here in our orbit and in our universe, uh, Ron DeSantis would get uh, atrophy in a minute and go back to the Wailing Wall and going back to being a tax cut, you know, <laughs> Israel, uh, you know, Republican, slavishly devoted to Israel. Yeah. All of that. And I know that. I know that. But see, that's the thing, Henry. None of that has ever, ever concerned me. Uh, I know the general nature of people. There are very few true believers on either side of the political spectrum. You want to go hard right, hard left, whatever you are. There are very 
few people in the world that have inflexible beliefs. Whether the times are fat or lean, they are not going to be moved from their positions. People like me and you, quite frankly. No matter what comes, we are not going to abandon our positions for expediency or comfort or anything else. Most people will, though. Uh, I don't care if Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump or any of these people we're talking about truly believe in what we're talking about or believe in it a little bit or a lot or not at all, so long as they do what we want them to do. And as you see the Republican base becoming more race conscious, I think you're going to see more of that. Marjorie Taylor Greene, all the time. Do I think she's particularly bright? No. But does she vote the way that I would vote on the issues that come up in Congress 90% of the time? Yes, she does. And she mentions almost on a daily basis now. White men are the most discriminated portion of the population. So I don't care what these people truly believe. I would like to have true believers, sure, but most people fall in line with whatever is the prevailing trend. And when our side becomes fashionable and trendy and in vogue and the path to power and, and prosperity, hey, everybody's going to be with us. And I think I think we're starting to see the needle move back in that direction. Well, I totally agree with that. It's up to us to keep pushing uh, on them, they need to feel pressure from us. That's why we should we shouldn't just back off. Like I don't have nothing to do no, with this or whatever. No, no, we, no, we need to keep pushing them, and that helps. Because as you say, I mean, even you know, there's other shows out there like we uh, Matt Walsh or whatever from the Daily Wire. He wouldn't have mentioned anti-white stuff uh, five years yeah. ago. You know what I mean? There's others like this, and it's coming up. It's it's becoming as you say, acceptable within those circles to push it. And uh, and again, that's, of course, because it's so insane on the other side. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just, you know, again, I have that fear that it's just like the, you know, the anti-CRT kind of crowd has been very like, oh, they're they're trying to divide us kind of thing. And, and some of them, not all of them, but some of them have had a hard time of saying, just coming out and saying it's anti-white. That's what it is. Remember, there was a pushback a while ago from like, uh, Christopher Rufo, maybe even a Carolyn Boroshensko, if you know who that is. They, they've done some good work and stuff like that. But they're like they couldn't say no. If we admit that it's anti-white, then that means uh, that will uh, that will strengthen white identity, and they're almost more afraid of that than there is of like white people actually being replaced or something like that. You know what I mean? So there is that faction within that group. But I think you're right in the sense that if we can keep pushing them and making it unacceptable to have those views if you're a conservative, that's very good for us, right? It's amazing, Henrik. You just touched on another thing, my friend. That uh, that is remarkable. No more than, what, three years ago, four years ago on the outside, you had these people. You mentioned Matt Walsh, and I generally agree with the lot that I see coming out of I don't know him and I've never talked to him, but I see some tweets from time to time, and I think that's a good take. But, but, but especially if you look at people like Ben Shapiro and Charlie Kirk, they are saying things now. They are saying the exact same things now, using the exact same phrasing that they were calling people white supremacists for three years ago. I, yeah. I have never, it's, it's, it's almost word for word. If they had heard somebody say it at one of their town halls or programs, they would have kicked them out for being a white supremacist. They're saying it now. Um, and uh, but that, that, again, that goes back to what we were talking about before. I don't care. I mean, let, them, let everybody say it, uh, whatever, whatever it takes to get us there and to reach this critical mass, which uh, is accelerating. And this whole thing, going back to the, to the whole theme, of uh, the, the FBI raid, 
it just it's going to send more people into the camp. It's going to send more people into the camp, and uh, that's that's a good thing for us. If even if the FBI had damning evidence, which you know they don't, if they did, they would have gone down there and arrested him. It was a fishing expedition. They went yeah. in there to poke around, maybe even plant evidence. If they had a case, they wouldn't have had to go into his home and, and bumble around. They would have just arrested him on the spot. But even if they did have damning evidence, uh, over half the country wouldn't believe it. It'll, you know, at least the, the half that voted for Trump wouldn't believe them. Uh, so they're wise to the FBI. Uh, they're wise that the FBI and what they've been willing to do uh, for for the system over the last forty years. Uh, they have cried. The system, in all of its tentacles, has cried wolf too often about Trump, and his voters are going to see this latest incident as just merely a persecution. It really, I think. You know, the whole Trump years were maddening. I mean, he, he said a lot of things that we liked, but I think, you know, based upon his candidacy and the promise of his candidacy, I think to, to say the very least, we all had hoped for more. Yeah. Uh, I guess at the end of the day, we have to remember he, he was just the president. Uh, and uh, I don't know how much power that has in, in, in a system like this, but uh, they're just going to see this persecution. And I think his image... Uh, has really been restored in a way, even with with people in our camp, only because uh, he's going through all of this and it all just serves to bring more people into the fold. So uh, even if people got disenchanted with him in his MAGA base, um, who maybe they weren't race realists back uh, in the early years, uh, if they got uh, disenchanted with Trump, I think that th this whole thing, being a whipping boy for the system, you know, you, you, you can relate to that. Certainly we can relate to that. Yeah, I, uh, you know, if he would, if he would drop like the Kushners and Ivanka, you know, there are people around his circles. He made some bad choices with the people he surrounded him, him with and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, ideally it would have gone a completely different way. And, and that's why I'm feeling a little bit of like the air has kind of gone out of, of that for me. The stuff that's happening around him, that's good kind of thing. Yeah, but like yeah, him, sure. but him running again in 2024 and stuff. And it's like, yeah, he had a, he had a, it was fun back then. It was like a united lot of people again. It was a, it was a leadership. We had a leader, you know what I mean? If it, you know, however, you know, goofy or, or, you know, wacky was, but that was kind of part of the fun too. Very mercurial kind of creature, you know, guy, right? He just off the cuff kind of guy says what he wants. Maybe not everything he saw, thought through, but he, he did manage to tap into a lot of like the kind of the, the the meme consensus somehow underneath everything, and maybe there was people around him doing that. But now him running again in twenty twenty four, do you think uh, is he going to be you know he's going to be restored? He's going to come back kind of as a, like he's almost a savior type of figure. He's going to fix the economy again. What, what do you think about that? Because I think that at this point it almost feels like the stuff that they accused Trump of doing or what they thought that he would be doing in, after the 2020 uh, fraudulent election, like he's not going to hand over power. That's like what they're going to do. Like Biden is not going to hand over. If, 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 if he is even alive at that point, but like they're not going to hand over the keys if Trump wins. But I don't even know with all the election fraud and stuff. What do you think is going to happen? Yes. Well, it's, it's, it's hard to say. You're right. So much of uh, what the left does is projection. Everything that they say that we are or that we're for, they actually do. I mean, they are man, uh, uh, they are driven by hatred. And uh, you can certainly see, well, what is this if not election fraud? Uh, to, 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 to have to go down and raid the home of a former president, unprecedented in American history, to uh, 
perhaps. I mean, I, I think they'll probably try to indict him. Uh, yeah. I, what if he goes to prison before he can run? What if what if he runs as president in absentia? I mean, you could just see this thing accelerating. It, we look at the acceleration since Biden went into the White House and, and, and through Trump's last year of his term, whether you had the Floyd riots, we have come so far since then. It's it's really almost impossible to imagine where we could be another year from now, depending on how this thing uh, plays out. If, if they put him in jail, uh, if they put him in prison, I, all bets are off. I mean, look at the rhetoric now, Henry. You have sitting congressmen saying abolish the FBI. That is absolutely unbelievable. It's a good thing. But who would have believed that two years ago, three years right. ago, five years ago? Never. Yeah. The House, uh, the Twitter account for the House Judiciary of the GOP, the GOP House Ju uh, Judiciary, they tweeted out of, uh, after the raid in South Florida, the House Judiciary, the IRS is coming for you. The DOJ is coming for you. The FBI is coming for you coming for you. No one is safe from political punishment. Uh, that is pointed rhetoric. And again, I think if they had a case, the charges would have already been filed. You know, raiding his home over documents taken from the National Archive. I mean, this is a, I don't think it shows uh, strength. I think it shows weakness. I think they're grasping at straws. And of yeah. course, you know, it's always the usual suspects that are, that are behind this. And again, they're perpetual and historic overreach. The judge who signed off on that warrant looks like a happy merchant. And uh, of course, you've got Merrick Garland. I think everybody in Biden's administration at a top level position uh, happens to share a commonality, if you know what I mean. And then what about Representative Scott Perry? You know, what is this, if not acceleration? Representative Scott Perry, a GOP congressman, he had uh, made mention that he wanted to file articles of impeachment against Merrick Garland. And then the FBI shows up the next day and steals his cell phone. Uh, I mean, this is where we're at now. And now, of course, the IRS has been conscripted. Yes. 80,000, the IRS, this sounds like Lincoln. The IRS has called up 80,000 troops. What are they going to be doing? What do they need? 80,000 armed troops that have to be proficient with uh, firearms. When's the last time you got audited at gunpoint? What, who are these <laughs> people going to be coming after? They're coming for your I, money, James. Give us your money right now. <laughs> That's basically I, this is, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think, though... I, what but again it's it this there's too many people it can't stand it can't stand you you can't put this weight and pressure on a on a system and on people like this without it just collapsing in on itself right and and you said let me let me read you this real quick because good you brought up the irs too i'm going to talk a little bit about both the dhs and and you know more about the fbi obviously about the irs issue alone uh there was a report out called the militarization of the U.S. executive agencies uh, by Open the Books. It's an, uh, kind of an oversight uh, report, basically. And they said uh, this, James, they said uh, the, the Internal Revenue Service, with its almost 2,200 special agents, spent $21.3 million on guns, ammunition, and military-style equipment between fiscal years 2006 and 2019. The agency stockpiled 4,500 guns and 5 million rounds of ammunition. And then the For Forbes reported in uh, this year, 2022 alone, uh, they've spelt, uh, spent another 700,000 uh, on ammunition. 
Uh, and as you said, the the so-called reconciliation bill or the Inflation Reduction Act, Act, which is of course a misnomer, it has nothing to do with that. It's just a big, uh, uh, you know, green, the, the, it's a, the Green New Deal wrapped in like a bunch of uh, complete lunacy, yeah. essentially. Uh, but in that, they had 80 billion uh, allocated for IRS, uh, which includes the enforcement and audits. And in fact, look at this. I actually have some. Here's some screenshots, apparently from an IRS CID yeah, police train. That. Did you see these? <laughs> it's just like, what is this? And look, wait for the last one. Look at that. That that's that's how <laughs> that's how we're gonna be at gunpoint, uh, James. There's even a video here too. I guess we can we can play a little bit of that while we talk over it here. This is like a. It's weird because I look at this and it's like this is a clown show, and it's easy for us to laugh at this as they put these kinds of people in the front of these groups. There he is, the wheelchair man right there. Um, but at the same time, I also feel, of course, obviously, that this system is, this system is like, I mean, spurgy, I guess, if that's a, the right word. It, it, it's got hubris. It It's looking for someone to blame, right? It's angry. It's upset. They call it the deep state, whatever you want to call it, the, the permanent government, all these people, all the globalists that are part of this. They want to have blood. That's what I feel, and they want to go after people. And at this point, despite the fact that they put uh, you know LG, LGBTQ uh, SJWs in, in in the front lines of some of these groups and stuff like that, behind that there is there is real firepower. There is real viciousness there, and it can hurt you bad if you sidestep it. Right, James? It's a threat. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you can't help but laugh as you watch these videos and the sort of people that they're bringing in doesn't look like the right stuff, <laughs> or no pun intended. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the empire is going to die hard. I, I think, look, it's inevitable. History it teaches us time and time again, and there are no exceptions. Empires and civilizations rise and fall, and none stand the test of time. And now we've, we've reached this point now where you've got uh, so much weakness and so many problems here in America, it, it is going to collapse, not necessarily by anything we're going to do or not do. Uh, again, we, we say don't go out and commit crimes, pay your taxes for God's sake. I mean, do everything you're supposed to do and build parallel societies and support groups that are there to safeguard your interest and the interest of your people and of your culture and of your heroes and all of that. But uh, yes, the system is not going to go down easy. And that's another thing that is going to have to happen, unfortunately. That is another prerequisite is that people are going to have to suffer a little more. Uh, people are pissed off and they've been abused, uh, but they're still bringing home the bacon. There's still relative uh, security, even with all of this inflation, even with everything that goes on. People can still move away one exit further down the interstate to get away from diversity. Uh, but the the door and the window does seem to be closing. Yeah, uh, America's been around in some shape or form 300, 400 years, depending on how you look at it. And it's been a it's been a very good run, but it is just not going to last forever. It can't last forever like this. There has been no multicultural and multiracial society that has ever stood the test of time. There's nothing magical about America that's going to spare us from that fate. It is inevitable that. Uh, things are going to change here and that things have to change and that they will change. Uh, how much suffering do right thinking people do between now and then? Probably more than you want to do. I'm a husband like you, Henrik, and I'm a father of three and I don't want hard times and, and hardship for my children. I want to safeguard them and protect them. But yes, these agencies, uh, as the threat becomes more real that 
the whole thing is going to crumble and that the, the power structure may very well shift in our favor. Uh, we just need that guy. We need that spark. We need that. Uh, we need the guy that we had hoped Trump would be plus a little bit more. We need. Yeah. But as we, we know, James, it, it's we need to be strong, man. It, but it's gonna, it's uh, yeah. Th these agencies are going to come after dissidents. Obviously, I mean, what, what else are they doing here? Right. Eighty billion dollars for the IRS. Uh, all of this ammunition. Yeah. Uh, Eighty thousand troops. Yeah, they're uh, secret service, FBI, CIA. Yeah, uh, I've heard of them carrying firearms, not the IRS. So it's it's probably going to get bad. And well, uh, but we got to understand this. Uh, it's easy to say, harder to walk through. We have all walked through a lot of discontent and um, a lot of trials. I mean, you know, the deplatforming, I mean, it really pales the comparison to, I think, the sacrifice of blood and bone and what may be coming. But uh, we have to remember we are not an individual. I don't see myself as an individual. I see myself as part of a collective. And my ultimate uh, goal is not the well-being of myself, but the well-being of our people, because that's yes. a cause greater than ourselves and, and something, something eternal and something uh, that uh, will be around long after we're gone. So, uh, our time on this uh, earth is short and we want to make it as impactful and as filled with love for our people and as our, for our families and for our women as possible. Uh, but uh, at, the, at the end of the day, we're all going to, nobody's going to get out of here alive. And uh, we need to understand that there may be some uh, very hard times ahead. And that's okay too, if you look at it from the perspective of the collective. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And of course, it's those hard times that produce that uh, that guy that you're uh, talking about uh, in a way, that's right? Fine. So that's just kind of how it goes, right? But uh, yeah, so the people have talked about uh, the Department of Homeland Security as well, which is actually one of the bigger uh, ones they're now turning inwardly and and, and uh, focusing on so-called domestic terrorism, right? They kind of conflate the, they use terms uh, different terms, but they mean the same thing. Sometimes they just say domestic uh, violent extremists, DVE. There was a Project Veritas, a couple of other uh, sources that had some of the leaked documents internally from the DHS where they talk about this, the heightened danger of these people. Sometimes they call them white nationalists. Then the other, uh, in the next breath, they call them white supremacists. And then in the next breath, they call them domestic terrorists, basically, right? And then, of course, the Justice Department as well. They've also created a unit focused on what they call domestic terrorism. Uh, and much of it, too, the, if you go through the language and look at the articles that, that describe what these uh, new uh, units are supposed to do, much of it is about, like, su well, suspected domestic violent extremism. It's not even, you know, settled issues. It's like spying on people, trying to figure out what what are they thinking about? What's going on in their in their brains? How do we how do we know they're not dangerous and extremist? And as you said, no, no society survives that kind of paranoia from from their overlords. You know what I mean? Well, that's right. But it just goes to show you've got a system and you've got uh, institutions that are totally disconnected, not just disconnected from at the very least half of its of its people, half of the people that is supposedly there to, to, to serve, uh, but to see them actually as an enemy. I mean, this is this is an incredible time that we live in. And, and just another word to the wise folks, by the way, yes, I mean, assume that they hear everything you say. Don't say anything in public or in the privacy of your own home that you wouldn't say to an agent or in a court of law. You've got to keep your nose clean on these things and not give them a reason. If they come, they come. They came for Trump. And this is something that has been said. If they can come for the former president of the United States, and probably right now the front runner, if he if he runs to, to be the next president of the United States, if they can take him out, they can come and take anybody out. 
There's very little stopping them. And if they come, they come. What are you going to do about it? Uh, but don't invite them to come by doing something stupid. Yeah. But I still have to go back, Henrik, to the to the notion that I have that this is an incredible overplay and overreach by the system. If you had control over all of the institutions, if you had your hand on the lever of institutional power with the government and the media and the churches and academia and you keep on naming them, the enemy is in control of all of that. Why are they so threatened to the point now where they, more than anything, any of us could have ever done in a hundred lifetimes, they have radicalized normal white people uh, in, in, in a way that, again, I don't think we could have ever done even with our best and most effective efforts. You, you got Merrick Garland. This, I think, is the scenario. Merrick Garland, if uh, he and the Department of Injustice or the Department of Social Justice, whatever you want to call it, if they indict and prosecute Trump, over anything that they say they find in Mar-a-Lago or even of uh, January 6th itself, uh, that's going to be perceived as a deep state plot. And that's the scenario that I think leads to maximum destabilization. And there was another poll that came out that I believe said recently that up to, I don't know how exactly they discerned this, but up to 20 million Americans are ready to use violence and that, that's your Ricky Schiffler. That's the guy that was up there in Cincinnati that uh, got killed trying to do whatever he had planned at that FBI field office. You've got a lot of people out there that are a lot more uh, radical than we are and uh, willing to do things that, uh, of course, we advise and uh, encourage against. But, you know, Trump was right. The FBI was out to get him. This whole yeah. thing everything yeah. he said, they were out to get him. He wasn't paranoid. And it's just, again, what's going to be the spark? You need one John Brown. You need one bleeding Kansas type uh, legitimate insurrection uh, when the most extreme people on both sides went at it before the main event. Yeah. And that could happen really anytime. Oh, absolutely. It won't, be us. it won't be Jared Taylor. It won't be Peter Brimlow. It won't <laughs> be you. It won't be me. But it's going to be your average Trump voter that's perhaps never been to, to uh, one of our meetings or been to one of our sites. But th these are the people... And, and God bless them, their heart's in the right place, but they don't understand what we understand about history and the way things work, that uh, they don't need to go out there and do that. It's our job to get them there, as many of them as possible, uh, and open their eyes and be there as, uh, you know, have, have the information there. And when they start asking questions, then then we're there, right? But that's part of why they're censoring us as well. And it's another point of like, why can why can uh, Matt Walsh and St uh, Charlie Kirk say these things and still be on all the main, pla <laughs> main platforms? Like, we were banned for it. Yeah, Damn it! That's nothing more than what we have ever said. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, right. I mean, it's. I, I, I look at the end of the day. This is not about. As you say, it's not about me. I don't care how the message gets out. As long as it gets out. So obviously, I'm not going to. I, 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 I will say this. I do agree <laughs> with that entirely. But for those of us who have toiled in the vineyards and put up with all of this bullshit, all of the attacks all of the smears, all of the deplatforming, you know, I can't lie to you. I can't lie to your <laughs> audience. I always tell the truth yeah. the way I see it. Yeah, it, uh, you know, it, it bothers me a little bit that, <laughs> uh, you know, a guy like Charlie Kirk gets to be the tough guy. <laughs> I oh, never boy. A for anything. He's going to take our issue now that it's become safe to do so. And, and, you know, the only currency we've ever had in this movement has been the respect of your peers and a little bit of credit. You know, you certainly wouldn't ever lavished in financial riches. 
So it is important that we recognize the people who are doing good work. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so this guy, this guy is one of the people we were talking about. He's yeah. going to say whatever he can get away with, whatever's safe to say, whatever doesn't cost him anything. But, hey, thankfully, because of the work that people like us have done, it has made a safe environment for people like Kirk to, yes. uh, to do things. And, yes. And, uh, uh, and that's okay. So long Trailblazers, as, James. As, long Tra- as your listeners uh, and, and supporters remember that and support it, you. Exactly. Doing. Yeah, tra- Trailblazers. The, these people wouldn't even know there was a path there without people like you who've been doing this for like almost two decades now, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and so many others, Jared Taylor, uh, Jer- uh, Kevin McDonald, all these, yeah. these great people out there, you know. I was doing it long enough to where I could still get invited on CNN. You know, we, we talked about that uh, back when I first went on in 2004. CNN was having me on to talk about explicitly racially tinged issues because I had a reputation as a talk radio host yeah. uh, who, who was talking about these things, but not coming on there like a nut. I mean, doing it in the uh, in, in a way like you've always done it, doing it uh, with facts and uh, a certain articulation, I guess. But they would bring me on back in the mid 2000s. I was on uh, to talk about self-segregation for an hour, if you can believe it, on the primetime show for an hour. Jeez. Talk about self-segregation, talk about immigration, to talk about um, the Knoxville horror, the, the black on white murder and rape in the Knoxville back in 2007, but always introduced as a conservative talk radio host. Well, I, I, we've been around so long, you know, we, we lived through where you could get on CNN to where you couldn't get on any of these <laughs> platforms anymore to where they you couldn't get on, but they would still talk about you. I can remember uh, saying something favorable of, Mike Pence, he had, uh, they, I think they had asked him to denounce David Duke in a vice presidential debate back in 2016. And I had said something about, you know, hey, it's good to see Mike Pence not taking debate there. And then it was on the CNN cry on white supremacist <laughs> James Edwards defends Mike Pence. Well, I'm a white supremacist <laughs> in 2016, but I was a conservative in 2007 on the very same yeah. network. And I've never talked more or less about the issues in any other way than, than, than what I did. But yeah, we've, we've lived through all of that to the point now where you got the Kirks and the people like that doing it. But hey, you want to yeah. talk about rhetoric? Um, and, and they're still being invited on, of course. What about what's going on in, in Hungary with Viktor Orban? Yeah, do, do you want to you save that? Do you want to take that in the next uh, uh, segment? We can take a, just a, a quick little break and then continue. I want to get into that more. I want to uh, just show a little bit more regarding sure. the. Um, uh, DHS and and uh, well also actually actually the the FBI thing with the sting operations that's kind of interesting because that's always a possibility too. But James, before we take that break, thepoliticalcesspool.org that's your website to tell people how they can tune into your radio show and check out your uh, stuff. Yep, that's it. I'm the oldest 42 year old. I'm a little <laughs> bit of a technophobe and a luddite, so uh, very much unlike uh, Henrik in that regard, who is everywhere and got a link tree a mile long. But uh, you can go. <laughs> oh, to we were banned from there, but I get your point. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually true. We were banned from Linktree. Can you believe it? Oh, no. <laughs> yep. The most banned man in America has got you. Got almost, to be, almost. to be Henry Palmer. Oh, uh, I, I have not seen anybody. I, I take all of my bannings with with a little bit of pride and yeah and uh, excitement. But uh, <laughs> you've been banned from places I've never even heard of. Well, okay. <laughs> anyway, thepoliticalcesspool.org is the place to go. We actually have one social media presence, and of all places, it's Twitter. I don't know how. Uh, the uh, the angel of death passed over our Twitter account, but uh, we're still there for now. And uh, that's at James Edwards TPC and thepoliticalcesspool.org. We're a once a week program. Look at me there. I still got the Christmas picture up from last yeah, year. Yeah, that's but- cool. I, I love the family photo. That. That's great. 
<laughs> well, you know, I think it's important to share with the audience who you are and who you really are because the, yeah. the enemy is going to paint a picture of you. I think it's important to share autobiographical information and to let people sort of invest in who you are in your day-to-day -day life. And that, that, of course, strengthens bonds and communities as well. And so I like doing that. I'm very proud of my family, very thankful. And uh, to have a family that supports, you know, a career doing this. Yeah. But then beautifulcessful.org and at James Edwards TPC, once a week uh, we do uh, – talk radio broadcast and that's on Saturday nights and we've got the broadcast archives there if you miss it live I couldn't imagine anybody having anything better to do on a Saturday night from the, listening to the radio show but if you do it's there in the, in the broadcast archive we've always got interesting guests obviously Henrik and Lana are our mainstays there it's a it's a great show. James does a, a really good uh, job. If you haven't heard, uh, checked it out before, definitely make sure you do thepoliticalcesspool.org. And of course, the archives are up there if you want to go back. Or if you can't tune in live, it's all there on the website. Uh, James, we'll take a sh just a really short break. Be right sure. back. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, more coming up in part two together with James Edwards. We're going to continue over at RedEyesMembers.com. Sign up for a membership. It's only 10 bucks a month. We also have longer subscriptions, by the way, and it gets cheaper per month. If you do a two-year one, it's down to like six bucks, 50 cents, something like that per month. Definitely worth checking out. You can also sign up over at SubscribeStar.com forward slash Red Ice. In part two, we're going to talk more about what we can do. How should we act? Uh, what should we do in these times? How do we prepare both for what's coming, but also how do we think long term in a situation like this when it's so easy to kind of be roped up with the short term things and we want things, you know, we want gratification. We want to feel that things are happening now. We're changing the world right now. And all that's well and good. But at the same time, a lot of this is also about timing and waiting for the right opportunity and not do things too early, prematurely. We have to stay cool about this. We have to uh, slow down a bit. We have to uh, do this at the right time when the moment is right, when the timing and everything is laid up just right. So anyway, we'll talk about that and much more. A very inspiring second part. So do not miss it. RedEyesMembers.com, SubscribeStar.com slash RedEyes. And by the way, we do have a couple of different tiers over at SubscribeStar. If you want to sign up for a monthly RedEyes membership, it's only 10 bucks a month. Then we have a, a plus tier, which is uh, 10 bucks extra per month for extra little donation if you feel so inclined. And then we have a producer tier and an executive producer tier. And we do have some of you guys joining us over there as executive producers. Thank you guys. We appreciate you. T. Lothrop's Stoddard, V. Miller, Resin Revolt, Good Luck Lap, Jake, Red Pill Rundown, and Chalky Milk. Thank you, guys. And thank you to our latest editions there as well and those who've been with us for a time. We appreciate you. It does help tremendously. We've uh, kind of set a goal. We want to try to achieve uh, 20 or so executive producers. That would help us tremendously. We're looking at getting our hands on an editor again. So if you feel that you want to help, that would contribute to basically salary for an additional employee here at Red Eyes. Definitely consider uh, the executive producer tier or maybe just the producer tier. We appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Much more coming up in part two. Great stuff. Also, of course, don't miss. We have more shows coming up. Live streams Friday. Fridays, Wednesdays, then we do Weekend Warrior over at RedEyesMembers.com on the weekends. And of course, in between, we uh, try to squeeze in videos, uh, shorter videos, scripted videos, and also interviews. We appreciate you guys. We can't do this without you. We'll be back with much more soon.